happening? How are you? All right. Um, just got home from work. I scarfed down some jambalaya real quick. Hung up your seersucker suit? No, but I actually did eat jambalaya. (laughs) (laughs) And then as I was getting up, I got a call from one Brian Charles Peters. Oh, perfect. A.K.A. BP. Yes, but I had to cut him off, promised to put a call back in tonight, but we briefly did talk. Uh, He's like, so Adam made your music? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And um, he's like, well, where can I listen to it? And I was like, oh, well, we have where you can download it, you know, like 99 cents or whatever. He's like, I'd have to pay. He's very offended by the idea that he would have to pay for it. <laughs> I was like, well, I could send it to you, but you'll be taking like 50 cents out of Adam's pocket. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was just thinking, um, one, I screwed up the intro and outro I don't know if you've listened to it, but we both agreed internally um, that the uh, second sample that we received should be the intro, and the first sample that we received should be the outro. We had a whole conversation about it. Yeah, um, and you did it inverse. I, I, I think. The first I, time I, I thought the first show we did where it had music. I thought the second one was the intro on it. All right, you're going to have to listen. I'm going to have to listen again. Yeah, and let me know because I think I screwed it up. Um, I mean, there were only two choices for me to make, and apparently I got yeah. it wrong. But um, either way, that's how good it is that you can't even tell yeah. that the outro should be the intro and the intro should be the outro. And I was driving, thinking about a couple things that I wanted to cover um, tonight, and I was like, listen, I don't know how we should approach this whole you know, buying or downloading um you know Adam's songs because so far we haven't had much traction on it. Um, but do I want to be like mm-hmm. you know get real commercial about it and you know kind of really pump it up because that I mean we don't kind of do that stuff you know and then do we want to berate the yeah. listeners into downloading them? No, because then that's dickish. But we do we do want people to go download. It's a buck. It's um it's a but what's it? Two sorry excuses. Bandcamp.com. They can go and there you go. It, it's a it's um you do have to pay a minimum of a dollar, but you can also um you can upcharge yourself. You know if you want to help out a friend of the cause, you want to download one for two bucks. Um, you know you, yeah. you're able to do that. It's kind of like a real it's an artist community kind of thing. Um, but there you go. So BP calls and does the commercial for us. Yeah. Perfect. And he's working with Adam tomorrow, so he said if I emailed it to him, he'd go in there and give him 50 cents or whatever. <laughs> whatever our, our our split is with Adam, I don't know what the situation is. Um, you know, well, luckily, we got to be writing him royalty checks for like $2 a month, you know? <laughs> it's funny. My brother was just telling me um, that he read somewhere that when they when the producers approached Donald Sutherland to do his role as the as the hippie um, professor in Animal House, yep, they said, "Listen, we'll give you two choices. We'll you know we can give you a fifty thousand dollar rate. Um, you'll be free and clear. Whatever it was, two days work. He was in he was in the film for like such a short amount of time, 
Um, or you can take yeah. points on the back end. And he took the $50,000 up front, which at that point, you, I would have thought that Donald Sutherland would have been an established enough name that he could have been like, all right, for two days worth of work, whatever, I'll take the points on the back end. But maybe not. Maybe he was still you know, just starting out. The points would have ended up being like I don't, tens of millions of dollars. So, um, you know, yeah. maybe that's what Adam signed Plus up for. Plus, he was Canadian. You know what fifty thousand dollars in nineteen seventy eight was? <laughs> huh? I don't. I don't have the math. What's that? Are, are you talking to me? Are we having Are we having uh, problems right now? No, we're we're we are smooth as silk, brother. All right, because uh, I'm rolling. hearing like I don't know. Maybe it's just on my end. I'm hearing like a. Uh, a weird echo effect or something, you know, on the, just like the garbled audio, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Every once in a while, um, that'll happen from your end where you like, you become yeah, it digitized. Sounds like Max talking to me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Is it persistent? Yeah, it's happening. I don't know what it is. Maybe I should try to shut everything else down on this computer. The other thing I've been doing a little work on that, um, on my, on my own, and to make sure that I don't have any of those problems, um, do you use a headset, or do you just talk right into the I computer don't. mic? Yeah, maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, part of the problem also is that I'm using a um, a seven and a half year old computer. <laughs> so is my purpose, you know? Right, right. You. Uh, uh, I mean, I was thinking about getting a new one, but I'm like, oh, man, I'm having problems, man. I don't like this. Maybe the phone's too close. Maybe that's part of it. Let me try this. Meanwhile, I got BP texting me. How do I listen live? He obviously does not podcast it works. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, man, because that's the other thing that I was thinking about is Literally. how how do you spread the word about, about podcasts, man? You know, I mean, I guess it's still a new enough thing that, that people just don't get it or just don't understand it. No. Um, BP is just technologically out to lunch. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy who's, you know, you email with him. You know, you really can't email with him too much. Uh, he's totally out of touch with any sense of social media or anything. He's just... You know, so I think podcast is really out there for him. <laughs> you know, that's what I got. How do I listen live? I'm on the website. You know? <laughs> I mean, it'd be uh, great if we could do this live, but come on. Right. All right. It's hard enough to record it, save yeah. the file, and get that out in one piece, let alone broadcast to the world live. Look at the trouble we're having just talking yes. to each other. No kidding with this whole. Uh, I don't know. I might get an iPad. I could probably do this on an iPad, couldn't I? Uh, yeah. All you need is Skype. So you do that uh, in any manner yeah. that you see fit, um, and, yeah. and it should be pretty good. Yeah, I'm gonna let him know he should go listen to the old ones. Yeah, catch this up. This is ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He can even listen to the old ones I mean, on the website. He asked me, I was like, well, if you'd listen to our show, you would have heard the music. <laughs> yeah. I tell him he's there anyway. Listen, he's to, listen to last week's with Fat Pat and tell him to start working his way backwards. Yeah, how many downloads did the Fat Pat one get? Um, all right, I was looking at that the other day. Like 12? Um, not a lot. 13. 
Oh god, I was close. Scarily close. But here's the here's the deal. We have about a hundred downloads for the month of June. I mean I'm sorry, yeah. for the month of July, which would give us we're gonna end up somewhere between two hundred and seventy five and three hundred downloads for the month. If we if we keep up. Um but you're gonna say Friggin' Fat Pat is ratings poison, though. No, 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 no. I'm going to say that previous to that, you know, we would average about, you know, 120 to 150. So even though nothing's going to touch June where we had, you know, 450 people downloading, including a 70 download day on June 20th. That's like, you're good at this. Pick a historical event that, you know, kind of summarizes the... Uh, you know the the culmination of some long suffering D Day and D Day considered yeah is that a D-Day, positive sure. event? We consider that a positive event. Yeah, so that's that's the D Day of two I mean, sorry excuses. That's a turning point, but it wasn't the most positive because so many people did die. Yeah, right. So um, um, yeah. give me something a little more positive. You're <laughs> looking for a watershed moment. Yes, in the history of the show, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. There's all kinds of things. Like, I don't know. I guess uh, I'll put in Saints terms when Steve Gleason blocked that punt and the return to the Superdome after Katrina. Which is funny you say that because I was just on ESPN.com the other day and they're having a, um, I don't know if it's going to be like a, a contest or, or some type of promotion, but you um, nominate your team's favorite or, or most memorable plays. They give you like three options, I think, right? I mean, I only looked at the Saints, and that's what they had were three options. Yeah, and I'm not sure whether now you as a Saints fan nominate those three for a single one and they go up against, you know, all other 30, t- what is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether, whether they're going to have what's the most memorable. Right. And yeah. I was excited because the Colts have a pretty storied history, um, you yeah. know, going back to the, you know, to the 50s. But when I clicked on it, uh, there were only um, Indianapolis Colts um, memory or Indianapolis Colts plays, and uh, I mean that's fine. You know what you would probably consider the modern day era is yeah. you know is the Indianapolis Colts. But I go back to being a Baltimore Colts fan. Like I've been to Memorial games at Memorial Stadium. I remember yeah. the Colts marching band. Like uh, I was there. You know I wasn't a fan from afar. Um, it was reasonably close. Um, you know, reasonably close market, and so we went down. It was only a couple hours drive, yeah. but the Bears, you know, they had Walter Payton, um, they had Refrigerator Perry, um, they had a couple other, you know, silly. Uh, well, how many choices did they have? Did they just have three, or they, did they have more? Yeah, no, they, they everybody had three. I looked through a couple right. teams, right. and there were a couple silly ones, you know, of you know a particular franchise. And you'd be like, well, like the Jets had the butt fumble. Like really, I mean, is that that's the most memorable in the it in the would be something good, you know? Right, right. Because everything with the Saints was good. The only thing I took exception to, I mean, I really can't quibble with using those three because two of them were in the Super Bowl and the other one was the Steve Gleason thing. My only issue is being a hardcore, longtime Saints fan from like the time I was born onward. It. It's like they discount anything that happened before 2006 here. Right. Now, for the for the Colts, I can kind of understand that because they moved from Indianapolis. Yeah. And the team history stayed with the Colts, meaning, you know, when you go back from like year to year, 
they have the records going back, yeah. you know, to the beginning, but a lot of the fanfare stayed in Baltimore. Like, there's a Johnny Unitas uh, statue outside yeah. of the Raven Stadium. And of course, the difference is you're you're a Colts fan. You're not a Baltimore Colts fan or an Indianapolis Colts fan. You're a Colts fan because you're not from either one of those cities. Right, right, right. So whereas they, people that were Baltimore Colts fans, they, they don't want to be – they're not going to be voting on what the Indianapolis Colts' best moments were. Yes, you're absolutely right, and that makes sense. So they kind of, I guess, made a conscious decision to um, to yeah. limit it to that. Which, you know what? I should have looked. Who else has moved? Like the Cardinals. Yeah, there's probably there's probably no St. Louis uh, yeah, I'm memories. Sure there's no St. Louis stuff on there because I don't know. They don't really have fans in Arizona either. But yeah. <laughs> so that kind of got me to you know. Uh, down the rabbit hole in terms of ESPN, and I ended up, um, I ended up at the um, ESPN the magazine the body issue. Oh uh, yeah, I saw the pictures of. Uh, well, I mean, you can talk about it. the the cover the cover boy. Uh, well, okay, I I don't I haven't seen the magazine itself. I've only seen Nor the I. spread. Seen pictures on dead. Who's spread. on the cover? Prince Fielder. Oh, okay. Well, this is great. This is great because... Prince Fielder, who ruined my fantasy baseball team with his shitty play and then his season and an injury to top it off. Well, this is funny because um, back in college, um, uh, let's see, it was probably like junior year or something, um, and it was before I had lost a bunch of weight. And whatever my height and weight were were the same dimensions as Natron Means, the running back from yes. the San Diego Chargers. Natron Bomb, yep. So maybe he was 5'10", uh, I don't, yeah, maybe he was 265, something like that. Sure, he was a bit more muscle. <laughs> something like that. And I'm like, that's me. That's the same exact dimensions as me. I could that's basically easy. be Natron Means. And, you know, everybody would kind of laugh and, yeah. you know, kind of humor me, but... You know, at the same token, um, I didn't really think I was Natron Means, but I was driving in the car and they was listening to um, some commentary on the ESPN, the magazine bodies issue. And they were like, uh, you know, Prince Fielder, uh, whatever, five, five, eleven, two seventy five or something along those lines. Yeah, he's huge. And I was like, man, you know, like, all right, well, I'm Prince Fielder. <laughs> you know, I, okay, I'm Prince Fielder. That's now that's my measuring stick. Um, and probably more like Cecil Fielder. <laughs> <laughs> well, which is funny you say that because I went and found the Prince Fielder body um, edition photo shoot, and yeah, there's no way. I mean, he's 275, and he's not 275 pounds of pure muscle. Yeah, but I mean, but he's he, pretty thick. He's pretty in pretty decent shape. Yeah, he's tatted. He's tatted the hell up too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all arms and, and chest and the whole deal. But yeah, um, I would settle for that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You settle for the ability to crack out fifty home runs a season in the major leagues. And, I mean, he's got a little bit of a gut on him, but, I mean... But he's a baseball player. You can do that. Right, exactly. 
He's a first baseman on top of it. He doesn't have to move too often. Yeah. And that's really it. I mean, he's got a gut on him. Everything else is just, he's solid. Yeah, his chest is pretty ridiculous. So I have uh, I have had uh, uh, an epiphany and decided that I'm going to go on uh, whatever Prince Fielder's health and workout regimen is. Yeah, probably part of it. Well, he was supposed. Was it Prince Fielder who claimed he was going to become a vegetarian? Yeah, I think he did become a vegetarian. Yeah. Well, you know what happened? He crapped out this season. <laughs> oh, is he? He's having a really bad year. Well, see, I had him on my fantasy team. He was my first draft. I think I had like one. We have a keeper league. I think I had maybe the third pick in the draft, and I picked Prince Fielder. You know, because, like, oh, he's on Texas. He was with the Tigers, and then this year he signed with Texas, you know? Right, right. As a free agent. Texas plays in a great park for home runs. It's like he's in a stacked lineup. Well, he, he was playing crappy. You know, he, had, he was doing terrible, and then he got injured, and now he's out for the season. So this has just been a year to forget for old Prince. Well, I think yeah, one so of maybe his... Maybe don't go on a diet. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. All right, what I'm going to do then is uh, apparently all the craze is uh, isogenics. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, I I, I guess it's all the craze. So I'm going to... uh, Thank you, Jay Leno. I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to... Apparently, President Obama... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what's his wife's name? He'd always um, reference his wife. Um, I don't know. I don't ever watch uh, Leno too often. Oh, you're a Conan O'Brien guy, right? I used to be. Now I'm just like, I don't really watch any of this. Sometimes I watch Letterman still, you know, just because you got to cherish it, you know? Yeah. I, what is? Did he say he's going to retire soon? Yeah, he's leaving next year. Who's, Stephen Colbert's Oh, team. that's right. I heard the... Uh, the scuttlebutt about that. Yeah. Um, that should be good. He's funny. Stephen Colbert's funny. Even outside of his, his you know, his right wing yeah. character. Um, I've seen him in some other stuff. He's pretty good. But, um, all right, then enough about isogenics, enough about Prince Fielder. Well, but, what is isogenics? I don't even know. I mean, oh, it's a, it, it's, it's, um, oh, you really don't know about it. It's a, it's a health craze system that's, that's sweeping the nation, and it ha- it's like a, it's like a full body uh, makeover kind of cleanse thing where you you know um, you know you, you drink a shake in the morning and you know eat lean chicken. Basically, it's all right if you were to eat healthy, it it replicates you know a normal eating healthy diet. But um, you know for those who 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 haven't mastered that skill after forty uh, after forty years. Um, it it kind of helps you jumpstart that. So I know a ton of people that have done it, and um, like boom, they're like looking at them as like before and after pictures, you know? Yeah. So the 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 results are are super noticeable. Be- um, because I got to do something, man. I gotta. I, I gotta you, get man. myself in, into shape. You both. Um, although. I have a little extra incentive these days to um, get my beach body back because I'm headed down to Curacao for the wedding of yes. um, Michael Richard Reardon, which yeah. is in uh, August 16th. So 
Um, I have about a month or so to, to get myself in some semblance of shape so I can get into uh, what the wedding invitation said, casual attire. Casual attire is not Curacao wear where you wear shorts and flip-flops every day? So that's what I need to figure out. I've been to um, I've been to to weddings where I've worn just linen pants and a linen shirt. Yeah. Um, I mean that sounds like a linen shirt, a linen pants with a light shirt with flip flops wedding. Yeah, which I'd I would be very happy if that's the case. Um, then I would be doubly happy if I could fit in to those linen pants and linen shirt that I own. So that's extra incentive to get that, uh, to get that squared away. So, um, it'd been a while since I've been down there. Uh, I did the math on it the other day, eight years since I left. Yeah. I had not gone back. He was, uh, that you were invited, you know, when he sent out the email telling me that there was going to be no, um, Boston party because it turned out that his whole family decided to come to Curacao unexpectedly when he thought it was just going to be like, you know, him and a couple of people down there, which is why he's planning on doing the Boston party. Yeah, so his his dad typically doesn't fly um, in all the years that, that Mike lived down there and then, you know, in all the subsequent years that he was ba- has been back Jack and forth. From Jack from Lynn uh, <laughs> does, has, has never flown as long as I've known him and, and we're going on 20 years uh, yeah. that I've been friends with Reardon. Uh, Sean lived out in Hawaii. Jack never went out. Now Jack has flown. He used to live out in San in um, in San Francisco or California as a young man. Yeah, Jack's early days. But but not anymore. I think he doesn't like to have the whole family traveling together. That kind of deal. Um, yeah. So that was the um, that was the motivation, I guess, behind the the Boston wedding and the and the and the Curacao wedding. But then I got a call, um, you know, from him. Saying, "Hey, listen, you know, I'd love you to come down for," which I was super honored for. Um, finding out afterwards, it was, it was, you know, it, it, it's going to be a small wedding. Basically, his family, um, two or three guys, and and Danique's side of the family. So um, that was super cool um, that I got, you know, that I got invited, and you know, was hell bent and determined to get down there, um, you know, one way or another. But um, got some. Um, got an interesting opportunity that might pan out, and I could have used you um, the other day during a conversation uh, with some guys who were down in Curacao. Yeah. Um, they gave me a call, and um, you know, I was talking about coming down to visit. Kind of gave them an update on my, you know, on my other, um, you know, situation in terms of what I'm doing for work, and um, you know, Ange and the whole deal up here. And they're like, "Well, listen, man, I'll tell you what." We could use a little help. We're looking to to open up an office, um, either in Europe or Asia. And so what type of work? They want to open up a call center for the the um, their sports booking casino. Okay, so they have primarily um, all European customers, and they want to have twenty four hour uh, service center. So if they set something up in Europe or, or or Asia, they can have you know they can staff a call center over there and have round the clock. So essentially, they would want me to go and just set up the office for them. 
you know, I know what the needs of, of that kind of office are. I know what the needs of a company, kind of a consultant role, you know, it'll last a couple months. And, um, they were giving me a rundown of the geography and yeah. I had to get to a map because I wasn't mm-hmm. familiar where any of the places were specifically. Now I'm going to give you the three locations Uh-oh. that they gave me. I want to know if you can tell me the country that the, that city belongs to <laughs> and the general general geographic location. You can give me surrounding okay. countries. I don't expect longitude and latitude, but if you have that, that would be great. I don't have that. Uh, we're going to start off with an easy one. Uh, Manila. That's in the Philippines. That is in the Philippines. I would say that's in Oceania, you would call that part of the world. Okay. All right. Uh, you can, because I, I wouldn't even know what to I call it. I think that's it. what it's grouped as. You know, uh, Australia was called a continent, but a lot of times they refer to the general whole area down there as Oceania now, you know? All right. Um, I didn't realize, which is kind of a good point um, that you bring up, because I didn't realize how far... I guess west you would consider that. I didn't I didn't realize that it was so f- it was so far west of of Japan, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's really you know, it's really closer to, well, I didn't realize Vietnam was so far west of Japan. You know, it's just yeah. as close to India as it is, and Australia as it is to Japan. Yeah. So, uh good bully for you. Great job. Second one um I'm going to give you a medium one. Okay. Um, but this one this one stumped me a little bit. Um, let me find... Exa- oh, okay, here we go. I know uh, where we are here. Um, uh, wait a minute. Oh, a Budapest. Oh, I've been to Budapest. Okay. That's in Hungary, okay. Central Europe. Correct. Yes. It is not in Turkey. In no, case, Budapest in case you were wondering, Hungary's like you know, Poland, uh, Austria's nearby. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good job. Uh, yes, I, 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 I spent two weeks in Budapest as part of one of the, um, as part of one of the law study programs. Where that, we? Where that, was your so, home base? It was. I believe we were in Buda. No, no. When you were, well, were you? You know, there's two sides. The Danube runs through Budapest. One side is Buda, the other side's Pest. Where was the school that you were going? It was at, we were in Budapest. Oh, you were in Budapest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it was like they did two weeks in Budapest, and there was another program which was in Vienna, which was four weeks. You know, you could you could sign up to only do two weeks of Vienna or a whole four weeks. You didn't have to. You know, all the programs worked in two week increments, and there were basically reasons to, you know, to fund the professor who was run the programs, travels, and get easy credits and travel through Europe, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, we went to this place. It was during the week. You know, you only have one weekend to do whatever you want when you're on the Budapest program, you know, because you get there, and then you have a weekend in between. So we went to this place called Lake Balaton, which is this huge lake. I guess they claim it's the largest lake in Central Europe, whatever that's worth. Okay. And, uh... We just didn't. We didn't know what we were doing. We're like, we went to the train station. And we're like, let get us a train somewhere. We need to go somewhere, you know. Um, uh, so we end up out there, and eventually, it was a whole, 
I call it the Balaton Death March because we <laughs> we got out somewhere and people were like, "Oh, you you got to go find a town. It's this huge lake." And we thought we were going to walk around it. We were walking for like hours. And eventually we came across this inn. They're like, no, you need to get a cab. You need to go somewhere else. They're like, you go to this town. So we, um, so the cab brings us to this boat that takes us across the water. Uh, and the cat, and, uh, after we get off the boat, we meet a cabbie and we're like, we were told to go here. He's like, no, you got to go this place. Sheer fuck. This is the party town. And we're like, sure, we'll go wherever. So we end up in this town called Sheerfuck. And, you know, that used to all be Eastern Bloc countries there, you know? Right, right. So they have these huge kind of communist-looking hotels. Uh, but it turned out it was like um, German <laughs> German high school senior trip weekend there. <laughs> <laughs> And there were so many, like, rat tails and mullets. And I remember, like, what the hell's the deal? And somebody's like, oh, those are called Bundesligas. That's what they refer to that haircut over there. <laughs> mullet. A mullet is a Bundesliga. Uh. And every German motherfucker <laughs> was running around. Because that's, that's like their Panama City, man, for German teenagers. They just swarm down on this area. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was pretty funny, you know. They're all walking around with their dark socks and dark ankle socks and shoes. You know, that's what the Europeans love that look. Right, right. You know, with their, I don't know. Now I see kids here wearing that look. You know, whatever's the goofy look in Europe becomes like, that's like the common look. All these kids running around tank and stupid print up tank tops with dark socks and mismatched shoes. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, this looks, I feel like I'm back at Lake Balaton doing German high school senior weekend or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was my little digression there. Well, that's good. No, no, that's good because I'll pick your brain because that's one of the three locations that. um, It's a place to go. uh, The third location is Sofia. Bulgaria. Oh, bravo. Um, Now, I was a little disappointed. That's the east of. Hungary, probably, huh? Uh, Maybe north of it a little bit. It, so east of Hungary is Romania. No, I know. But it's not right next door to and it. And then south of Romania. Well, hold on a second. That was a comma. Right. Hung- <laughs> east of east of Hungary is Romania, comma. South of Romania is Bulgaria. Okay. I know it's in that region because it was a communist country, too. So, like, um, so Austria, Hungary, Romania, Moldova... And then yeah. Ukraine, and that borders on the Black Sea. And then just south of that is Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, uh, and then Romania is huge. Yeah. Um, Serbia, then Bulgaria is underneath Romania. Now, I was kind of psyched because... Um, you didn't know where Sofia was? You didn't know what country that was in? No, I didn't, man. The capital of Bulgaria, brother. Yeah, okay, great. I needed you. This is why this is why I started this conversation with I needed you the other day, um, but I was psyched when I saw Bulgaria because it's got a pretty decent coastline and it's on the Black Sea. And even if you're not on the coastline, if you're on the southern border of Bulgaria, that borders with Greece, and I've heard crazy things about Greece, and yeah. that's not particularly far from the uh, Aegean Sea. So I was like, all right, you know what, I could I could do that, um, but. 
once I found out it was Sofia, I was a little more disappointed because it borders Serbia. Um, and it's it's inland. I think it's a mountain region. So yeah, I um, bet you got some pretty depressing architecture in Bulgaria. I would imagine. I would imagine I that was under hardcore commie rule for like 50, 60 years. But now that I know that Budapest is in Hungary, Budapest is really cool. You know, it's a big thing in Budapest. They have these baths. You know, these bathhouses, like, like Turkish you, bathhouses. Yeah, you just go and chill in them, man. They got mineral, you know, these mineral baths and stuff, and and then they got a big old pool outside, and you just chill out there all day, you know. Like in um, like in Rounders. Uh, I can't vouch for that. You you ever see Rounders? No, that's why I can't vouch. Oh, for all, that. Right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, there's a whole big. Uh, Turkish bath scene um, in yeah, Rounders. It's, it's a Hungarian bath, and the one we were hanging out at was a, you know, it was at least a couple hundred years old because it's a big, it's a, it's a long tradition over there to hang out in the baths. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I would assume that the. Uh, thank you for correcting me, but I would have assumed that the the baths in Hungary are called Hungary baths, not Turkish baths. I assume the Turkish baths are germane to turkey but you know i gotta ask my dad about that because when we were little we used to ask him about that because i think he might have gone into the turkish bath because when he was in the navy they went to turkey okay you know i think he might have gone there the other day he was talking about how filthy of a country turkey was <laughs> but my brother has been in the past five or six years past decade because he brought that up he's like josh says it's not that bad anymore but i just remember that being the filthiest place i'd ever been <laughs> <laughs> it probably is a bit accurate, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. Turkey was probably pretty damn poor in 1962 or 63 or whenever the hell that was. I would imagine. Um, so the front runner right now is is the Philippines because apparently that is the cheapest, um, and like 95 percent of the um, Filipino population speak English. So that's yeah. That's, also, you love lady boy hookers, huh? That's <laughs> <laughs> the Internet National Geographic channel tell me that that's what Philippine the Philippines are full of. That's what it is. Anything I know about the Philippines, I know from that and from the opening scenes of Officer and a Gentleman, <laughs> <laughs> when his dad just finished Robert Lowe's, you just ended it. You know, finished uh, up with his gross, nasty Philippine whore or whatever she was. <laughs> um, and now that Fernand Marcos stole a lot of money, Corazine Aquino, Imelda Marcos had a bunch of G- bunch of shoes, and I know that Douglas MacArthur vowed he would return to Philippines when they got tossed out, and he did. So, in honor of of uh, Douglas MacArthur. Philippines is the last place on my list. It's number it's number three in the running. Wait, but it's number three now. What's that? I thought it was number one. No, 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 no. That's their number one. Oh, that's their number that's one. That's their number one. Put somebody. Sophia was well. They've only done like like um, you know kind of rudimentary fact finding, and basically what they found is it's the cheapest, and mo- they speak the most people speak English. So that's yeah, it's got to be cheaper. I mean, even as cheap as Bulgaria may be, it's got to be cheaper anywhere in Europe. And I would imagine that that Bulgaria is going to be more expensive than than Hungary. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, with that said, I'm pulling for Bulgaria um, because that's probably the middle ground. That's probably, um, you know, the place that's going to cut the difference between um, between Hungary and, and Philippines. And it's a reasonable distance. Like, yeah. what was the flight? 12 hours tops. Yeah, it's like a 12 hour flight, I'm you sure. Probably make it in one connection. You know, you fly from yeah. Bulgaria to, to France or Bulgaria to Germany, and then, you know, you can fly yeah, direct. Frankfurt, I think, was one of the places we were directed to when we were to fly into that part, you know. Philippines would be miserable. You'd have to go yep. across the U.S., and then it's a 36 hour trip. Well, if you end up going to Europe and you need a partner, <laughs> you're in? Yeah, screw it. I'm in. All right, perfect. Anything to get me out of the legal career. <laughs> All right, done. I'll remember that. All right, good. And then you can you can and we um, can broadcast in person, and we don't need to. We can broadcast live, and Peters can listen to us as we speak. <laughs> um, well, hey, listen, man. If you're if you're uh, if you're looking for the path less traveled, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans are looking for front office help. Are they? Yes. Yeah, it probably pays like fifteen grand a year. Huh? <laughs> I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, because all those dudes that have those jobs are normally like twenty-two, twenty-three-year-old kids. Yeah, exactly. Even in the NBA, it's uh, there's yeah. there's no middle class. There's no middle class management in the NBA. You're either, you know, executive vice president lifer, or, you know, you're working for twenty-two thousand bucks. Yep. So right. I'll keep. Did you see that advertised at NBA.com or something? Um. No, I mean some like sports profession oh, okay. network thing that always kind of throws things like that um, around. But that one caught caught my eye because um, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just move in and live down yeah. in New Orleans. Yeah, it'd be so nice. You broadcast in person. I'm trying to go look at a house tomorrow, actually. But oh yeah, where? Wait, uh. Uptown New Orleans, like Carrollton area, right next to where the uh, Archbishop lives. You know, it's a foreclosure house that I saw go up the other day. I called the people. The guy called me to look at it. He was supposed to call me back because he's like, wait, uh, when I get back to office, I'll call you because i got to look about showing times, you know, showing rules. Right. You know, he never called me back, so I'm going to have to call him in the morning because I already talked to a friend of mine who does – you know, who does, like, some contracting work, you know, flipping houses and stuff, who said he would go with me to look at it. Oh, sweet. Uh, so I can get an assessment of whether, you know, anything's going to be too ridiculous, you know, or, well, y- wh- you know what I'm saying. When we were looking at houses, um, we had, our realtor was also a contractor, so he just had a general eye of, hey, listen, you, you can do this, you can do that, stay yeah. away from this place, don't, you know... Don't get involved in that. Um, yeah. But we looked at a couple places because we really opened up our, our spectrum in terms of what we'd be willing to take on. And then once we found out that you can – there's a there's a government-sponsored mortgage that lets you build in construction costs into uh-huh. a fixer-upper. Yeah. Then that was like game on. So, you know, the house is listed for 100000 It you know, it's going to take two hundred thousand dollars worth of renovations. But hey, three hundred thousand was our was our mat, was our ballpark. Let's look at a yeah. place that might need a lot of renovations. And in Asbury, there's a ton of places that uh, yeah, that, that need sure a lot of reservations. Like that down here, the problem is the stuff like that that needs a lot of renovations. 
you know, at this point, it's getting to where it's in really bad areas. You know, all the good stuff, the places in the better areas have been snapped up in the past. You know, it's it's hard to come across those places. Because even places, if it's in a desirable area, they'll want a lot of money for the place knowing that some yuppie has no problem coming in and dropping a couple hundred thousand dollars to spend a couple hundred thousand more and working on it, you know? Right. So, you know, they're like, well, whoever buys this house is going to turn it into a $400,000 house anyway, so we might as well sell it for 200 something thousand. I thought um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie bought all the houses in New Orleans. <laughs> I don't even know where their house is. I think that... Because I think they were, I mean, I guess maybe they have that place in the quarter, but I don't know if they own it. Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that thing about a month or two ago when it was uh, Brad Pitt noticed Matthew McConaughey, who was hanging out with Drew Brees at an apartment across the way, and Matthew McConaughey, uh, Brad Pitt tossed tossed Matthew McConaughey a beer. I did hear about that. The next. (laughs) Well, you know, the funny thing about that, this is the kicker to that story. All right, that was Memorial Day weekend. Happened like the week before that, I guess it was. A week or two before Memorial Day weekend, because it was Memorial Day weekend when I was hanging out with some friends, and the guy was telling me that, um, you know, they used to wake tables down in the quarter, and a woman they know, her and her husband lived in the apartment that McConaughey and Drew Brees were hanging out in. But they had subletted it to him. To not sublet directly Matthew McConaughey, but to some company and that, you know, who let it out to them, you know? Okay. And they evicted because they saw, because their, the landlord saw those pictures and was like, well, why the hell is Matthew McConaughey hanging out in that apartment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how shitty is that? Because they probably had a really good deal on rent. Which is why they were subletting it out. Like, sure, we're not going to get rid of this place. Right, right. You know? And oh. things as he sees that, he's like, oh, the sublet, that's breaking the lease. And the other thing is, man, you know how much more money I can get for this place now? That this is the place Matthew McConaughey and Drew Brees hang out at? Right, no shit. And what was that? That was down in the quarter? Yeah, down in the quarter. Ah. Uh, yeah, how Fucking A. Is that that you is. Get, yeah, you get friggin' tossed out of your apartment for because of TMZ, basically. <laughs> Jeez. Ah, uh, that does suck. Yeah, but it's kind of a funny story, although it is shitty. Because you're not going to... The quarter, you know, it becomes less affordable every uh, every year. And those people, they got burned, man. But they were probably making damn good money when they were subletting that place. Yeah, I mean, who who owns property down there? Are those all rental properties? Uh, I mean, a lot of them, but Lenny Kravitz is sell. He owns one, and he's selling it right now. And I saw the pictures. Like from the outside, it looks like just like an old school New Orleans French Quarter Creole cottage. And the inside, you know, he put so so much money in renovating it. You, it doesn't even look like you're in the French Quarter when you're in the house. It looks like you know. Right, right. I mean, they got people that own them, of course, you know, and. Uh, my buddy lives in a little condo down there, like this little, you know, converted building, which, you know, his condo is probably like 400 square feet, you know? Okay. Uh, 
But he got it after he got divorced, you know, sort of like, fuck it, you know, he's going to live the life, you know, he's not from here. Okay. If he was from here, odds are he wouldn't go buy that place in the quarter, you know? Right, right. Uh, but But next door to him is a house which is owned by the parents of another friend of ours. And these people are from another, it was, uh, they're, they're the parents of a, of a friend of a friend who went to college with them. They're from Alexandria, and you can go look up. And I think that place they consider value, I think they might have paid like a million something for it. Okay. You know? I mean, if it was in New, if you took the French Quarter and moved it into New York City, all these prices would probably quadruple. Right, right. You know, so or if not even like uh, go up by ten times, maybe the way New York is. You know, so like so, if you actually own an actual house like they have, it doesn't even have much of a yard, but it's a house in the quarter. Right, that's valuable. Um, but they, it's weird because they do have a few people. My mom works with a guy who's. Um, whose family still owns a house down there. He was raised down there. Like, they're just working-class normal people, but the the house has been in the family for 100 years. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Yeah, like, back, like, like if you go, if you hopped on a time machine and went back to 1900, I think um, the French Quarter would have been largely black and Italian. Okay. Largely black and Sicilian. Like, it wasn't, like, a place... You know, it wasn't – the French Quarter was on hard times back then. You know, it had been – the original place you settled, but at that point it was just sort of like, you know, it had become the way a lot of older inner cities become. You know, it became like a ghetto type of place. That's why the blacks and the Sicilian immigrants were all living down there. Right, right. Even the setup of it is conducive to that, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was like that. You see these pictures that look, you know, people with the – with the clothesline string and everything. But I think um, when it really started to change, even though people still live down there, even 20 years ago, they still have weirdos that live down there. But but it used to be even more common that a weirdo with not much money could go and rent a place for fairly cheap. But those places are... Cause I spoke to a bartender about that down in one of the bars down there one day because he was living down there about how much harder it is to find affordable places to rent there now you know yeah um because it's it's everything's becoming like you know either rent out for a ridiculous amount or turn into a condo but uh i guess when that really started the change was during the whole bohemian movement in early 1900s you know which eventually led to people like tennessee williams moving to new orleans uh you know once the artists start taking over uh it, be- it started becoming less of a neighborhood, you know. Like there weren't weren't too many families with kids anymore, and it's weird if you do go down there, because th- there's a geographer, a local geographer. He's um uh, he's in the architecture school at Tulane, but he writes all these stories, you know, about the history of New Orleans all the time. These academic things talking about the way the city was developed, and he was he did a whole thing about um, gentrification. And how one of the problems with gentrification with a lot of way goes, eventually they lose, they become kind of dying neighborhoods because most people that move into them aren't people that are having kids and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, okay. And he was talking about that, how 100 years ago, 
There would have been kids running around the quarter. And he's like, he's like, if you want to know what gentrification ultimately becomes, go down to the quarter because in the early 1900s, this started happening. And he's like, now if you go to the residential part of the quarter, you're not seeing any little kids running in the street on a, on a Saturday afternoon. So he's like, all the people I want to know what these parts of the city that are becoming the gentrified areas might look like in 50 years, that's what it might be. That's what it might look like, you know? Oh, that's really interesting, man, because that's what that's the path that Asbury Park essentially is on. Yeah. Or at least the eastern part of Asbury. I could see Asbury Park essentially splitting into two two cities where um I mean we're only one mile by one mile, but on the on the wrong side or the west side of the tracks is um, you know, is housing projects, violence, gangs. Yeah. And on the east side, uh, closer to the ocean, is um over the last twenty years. Um, has become very artistic, um, huge gay community, gay population yeah. have moved in, you know, tons of gay guys, yeah. um, taking old Victorians, fixing them up, like, property values have gone up, but, But you the know. problem is it becomes untenable, because who's going to move in there afterwards, because the property values are so expensive, they just basically become resort areas. Yeah. Or something, because it's not, you know, gay people aren't having a bunch of kids. Right. No matter whether they have a right to or not, they're they're just not. They're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So, who knows? So half of Asbury Park might look like that in a few years. All right. I'm going to have to go down and do a social study. Yeah. I mean, you walk around like Charlestown when I used to live there, like all those gentrified areas. You didn't see too many. It's all yuppies and stuff, you know? Yeah. There's no, like families really you know uh, as as far as the parts go where it was all the stuff that was being renovated you know right yeah so and i think part of it was like and most of the people that have families if they want to do that eventually they move somewhere that's more amenable to having families like where they have green space and stuff you right, know right uh so i don't know how we got there but we did uh sophia is the capital of bulgaria basically that's yeah, we summarize basically. all of that yeah. um uh, what else you got man um uh, well i can tell you about my fourth of july oh <laughs> yeah happy fourth of july by the yeah. way yeah which we haven't covered no 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 i'll tell you this much so i didn't know whether i was gonna do anything on fourth of july and then it's like thursday i was like nobody has spoken to me about a pool party or anything. New Orleans and 4th of July is kind of brutal anyway because it's always fucking hot. Okay. You know, like New Orleans, 4th of July is like 90 degrees. It was actually kind of bearable this past 4th of July. But, um, alright. So, for a long time my mom's like, oh, you gotta take your father down to Magazine Street again one day. Uh, <laughs> I was like, all right, one day I'll have to do that. But that's the neighborhood he grew up in. That's why she was like, you got to take him down. Like when all his stories, um, I'll say this much about my dad. He didn't say a damn word as I was growing up. Now you can't shut the bastard up. (laughs) Uh, You know what's just so funny is that I was just looking at, um, I was just, when you told me the, the location of that, place you were looking i i pulled up my little map in new orleans um and you know i zoomed into the you know to the Carrollton uh area and then i saw magazine street didn't i isn't that um, uh i mean if you, it's not far from there i mean it's a little it, it's Carrollton, 
from the end of Carrollton or the foot of Carrollton, however you want to look at it, to the foot of Magazine Street, mm-hmm. or the I guess that would be the end of Magazine Street. Yeah, it's probably a half mile away. And it it it, it borders on the there's a golf course and then it cuts the across park. Okay. Yeah. So we zoo on one side and the golf course. Oh, it has the zoo. Okay. I was wondering, we've talked about Magazine Street extensively before. Is yeah. Magazine Street where you ran into the, the guy with the girlfriend, the SU, a young alumni? Yeah, that was about probably, uh, that was, yeah, the SU people. That was down, uh, what was that? That was probably around the 5,000 block, somewhere around okay, those. Okay, because you were bringing your niece to the zoo. No, no, no. I was when I ran into the SU people. Yeah, you brought your niece to the. Oh, two SU people things. The one that I when I went and followed the car. Yes. You know that story. Yep. That was a different time when I went to go pick up my car from downtown. Uh, But that was also Magazine Street. Yeah, but the the zoo. I dropped my niece off at the zoo and I went and hung out at the Fly, which is the park behind the zoo. Yes. Right on the river that you can see on a map there. Yes. And that's where I was hanging out when I when the SU guy, who I haven't spoken to in a few months, or he hasn't texted me, Tom Dahl, since, uh, who, who asked me if my dog was an SU fan or something, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it all comes back to Magazine Street. Now yes. I know why. Now I know why. Well, like when my dad grew up there, he grew up down by Napoleon in Magazine, uh, is where he lived. If you're looking at your handy dandy map, I see it. I got it right. I'm right there. Fair. He grew up, uh, I think, in a 4500 block. And this is a funny story about him. He loved Magazine Street. Uh, when he was 15, his parents bought a bought moved into a house on Joseph Street which is right off of Magazine Street. It was behind what is now Whole Foods, what used to be a streetcar bar. Okay. My dad refused to move. (laughs) He stayed in the house on Magazine Street down there. And, like, like that tells you the the level of parenting that his parents had. They didn't do anything about it. How old was he? Fifteen. Refused to move. I mean, I think eventually he moved, but he refused to. And my mom talks about when they used to date. You know, no matter where my mom lived in the Dauphine Street down the Ninth Ward. You know, that's where she where she grew up. And no matter where they were in the city, wherever they went on a date, or you know, they could have been out on the lakefront at a restaurant out there, and he would have to bring my mom to her house in Ninth Ward. He always had to go back and drive down Magazine Street before he brought her home. <laughs> you know, like, that was his jam. Magazine Street was, like, his place to be. It, it was the hip street, you know. <laughs> so, like, so that was one reason why my mom wanted me to take him down there, because now it's totally different. It's all boutiques and stuff. When he was a kid, it was, you know, it was it was very working class. It was a lot of bars and, and po'boy shops everywhere, you know. Right, right. Now it's like it's all these, you know, kind of she she she, frou frou women's boutiques and all this type of stuff. But anyway, I'll get to that. That's the back part of the story. The first part of the story is the movie, the Jersey Boys movies out right now. You know? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I, I get angry. I didn't see the musical when it passed through here, but it'll probably come again. 
but uh, you know, it involves Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. You know, Dago's from New Jersey, Dago's. Yeah. Therefore, you figure my dad's gonna be into it. But like when it when the musical came through town like two or three years ago, my my mother and niece went with my dad to something at the theater where they do everything. It was a uh, I think it was the symphony and they and they said the poster afterwards for jersey boys and they're like oh you want to go see that he's like no i don't care about that you know <laughs> clearly not knowing what it was about right but um so we didn't take them to it. we ended up my brother and i ended up taking them to this million dollar quartet thing which is have you ever heard of that sure sure it's like Music. uh carl perkins uh elvis johnny cash and elvis johnny cash and jerry lee lewis jerry yeah. lewis yeah yes and uh, and my dad loved that, of course, because that my dad was born in 1940. That's right in his friggin' wheelhouse. <laughs> he loved Jerry Lewis, right? Although he won't go see him live, because he was gonna play at the Casino in Mississippi about six months ago. My sister's like, "You want to go see Jerry Lewis?" He's like, "Oh, I don't want to go see that bomb. He'll probably die on stage or something," you know. <laughs> Although he thought he was the baddest ass guy, even when we went to go see that thing, he was like, "Oh, Jerry Lewis. They should have done more of his songs. He loves Jerry Lee Lewis." <laughs> uh, okay, so anyway, um, he he rarely goes to movies anymore because he really can't see too well. And he really can't hear too well anymore, you know? So it kind of sucks. He loved movies, but it sucks for him because it's just shitty when you really can't hear and see too well, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, well, I guess he saw something in my mom's... Because I told my mom, I was like, the Jersey Boys movie's coming. I don't want the old man's going to want to see it. Because he didn't want to see the musical. Well, he must have read... He read, like, the Parade magazine when they had Frankie Valli and a cast of Jersey Boys in it. So you think, so he tells my mom he wants to see it. So I was like, all right, well, nobody's doing anything. And then at that point I said, well, I'm not even going to try to do anything because this is what I'll do. Uh, but I had, it took me a long time before I decided to do it because it's a, it's quite a burden to hang out with my dad for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the fact that I was going to have to drive to Mississippi in the morning, get him, bring him back. You know how far how far is the Mississippi place? It's only like an hour away, but sixty miles. Okay, but I ended up driving about two hundred sixty-five miles round trip Friday because <laughs> <laughs> I clocked it. You know, when I was about a mile or so from the house, I, I was like, "Oh, wait, I better clock how long this trip's going to be today." You know, um, but I called him up on Thursday night. I'm like, "Dad, you want to go see Jersey Boys tomorrow?" He was like, yeah, like really excited. I was like, all right, they got a noon showing at the Britannia, which is like the old single screen movie theater, like the last one left in New Orleans, you know? Right. It's been there. I think this is their 100th anniversary this year. I was like, we're going to go to the Britannia because it's cool to go there. Even though that wasn't really his movie theater when he was a kid, I think he only went there a few times because, you know, everything was so neighborhood centric that even though he grew up maybe 10 blocks away from there, he had a different movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was on Napoleon, because that's the way the world was back then. Your world was defined by like a 10-block area. Totally. So so we go there. I go and pick him up, and we get out there. I'm like, yeah. I was like, Clint Eastwood direct this movie. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So I mean, a few things should have tipped me off, and only in retrospect did they really tip me off. <laughs> so... We get in there, and it's the Friday noon showing on 4th of July of Jersey Boys, and it's third week being out, you know. This right. is the beginning of the third week. No one was in there. 
you know, so that was fine. You know, there was probably, there was a couple that looked like they had to be at least 10 years older than my dad, you know, and then a few other people. There might have been eight people max in the theater. So it didn't really, it wasn't much of a concern that he was talking, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the previews are coming on. Yes, you can talk a little bit, you know, when previews are on, but he was completely just ranting during the previews about other stuff, you know? <laughs> Not like, hey, I'll go see that. Let's let's go see that when that comes out. Or <laughs> totally unbelievable. I'd never go see that movie. No, he was he was talking about the you know, what he had for breakfast or whatever. Yeah, like I don't not even oh, you know what he was talking about? <laughs> Because if you hang out with him long enough in a day, you will hear all the themes of his life that he talks about. And usually you've heard these stories over and over again. You'll hear about the guys from high school, in particular this guy named Errol Linden, who was a big football star when my dad was like a ninth grader at his high school, who ended up playing in the NFL briefly or something. You'll hear about that. You'll hear about his time in the Navy. Eventually you'll hear about all the assholes he worked with at his job when he worked for AT&T for all those years. (laughs) You'll hear uh, all these just stories from the past. And, uh, you know, I heard new stuff this weekend later on when he was talking about why he left the fire department. You know, my mom didn't even hear that story. I was telling her about it Later that the next day, she's like, "I've never heard that story." It was about some asshole, which is basically the reason why he, why when he got a chance to jump at another job, he did because this, because of this one asshole that he couldn't stand that he worked with, uh, that no one else liked. But the problem was he had seniority on my dad, so he was able to fuck him over, you know, because that's the way stuff works. Right. Because uh, my dad got hired on the fire department, and then. And then he got called into active duty in the Navy. So when he came back, it's like he had no time, you know? Right. So it involved all that. But but, um, but this story, and I heard this story before. And uh, this story involved when he was in the Navy. And my dad's like, you know, I didn't even know there were any gay people in the Navy. You know? <laughs> And it was when he was in, I think it was when he was in Charleston awaiting his orders. So since they were waiting there, he was waiting for his orders there. All the guys who were in Charleston waiting for their orders, they you were kind of treated like shit by the Navy since they knew you weren't going to be there for the long haul. You know, like you were being wait, they, you were waiting for your orders to, to go to another base, which for him ended up being Norfolk, you know? Okay. Uh so he was so him and our guys are all waiting for the orders. They made him do like the uh, KP duty and the kitchen duty and all that cleaning the mess hall. And he's like, "Yeah, this guy came up to me, you know. And he was an older guy, and and he told me I wouldn't have to do this anymore. And then he he took my number and all that, you know, like his uh, I guess his off of his dog tags or whatever. Right. You know, he's like, and I didn't even know it at the time, but then I and then I realized later on, I realized. That guy's gay, and that's why he took my information. You know, <laughs> he's like, and he's like, next day we line up for attention. And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm all worried because I'm like, oh no, that gay guy's gonna come and pull me out. You know, because he was like an officer or something. Right. 
and he's all nervous that this guy's gonna take him out and try to compromise him somehow. <laughs> and this is like this is when he was first married to my mom too. You know, he's all nervous about that, and he's like, he's like, and the next thing I know, I see him walking in handcuffs because the guy that came on after my dad was some hick, you know. Um, and I guess he tried to make a move on that guy too, and then that guy got drunk or whatever, and he ratted him out, so they arrested this guy for being gay. Oh, no way. That's what he used to do. You know, and he was saying what sucky was, the guy had already retired, but he had come back to the Navy, and he was arrested, so he lost his retirement and everything, because that's what they used to do to you. And But my dad's like, I didn't even think there were any gay people in the Navy. Yeah, I mean... This is 1963, you know? Right. Like, my idea, my dad's idea of what a gay guy is, you know? Right, right. <laughs> he, he thinks, oh, well, they don't allow gays in the military. There's no gays here. I was like, yeah, but you were probably surrounded by a lot of them. You just don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since Navy traditionally always has the highest incidence of homosexual members. Well, I mean, they have the YMCA theme song, or the Village People theme song. In the Navy, yes. <laughs> um, so he's talking about that while the previews are gone off. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, man, you got to chill out, you know? <laughs> and, like, even before, I should even mention this on here. Um, like, before we go in the theater, my dad grew up in segregation, Jim Crow, New Orleans. Okay. And he's like, he's like, oh, you don't want, you don't want to go to the balcony, right? He's like, no, I don't like sitting in the balcony. He's like, he's like, I never wanted to be in the balcony. He's like, couldn't go in the balcony anyway. He's like, because that's where, and he thinks he's whispering. Because <laughs> that's where the blacks had to sit. And I'm like, I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> this was before you even got the story about the. You, you haven't even walked into the theater yes. yet. Yes, and I'm like. And, like, when he was telling the story about the gay guy, I'm looking around, I'm like, thank God no one is in this theater right now. You know? You know like, I mean, he wasn't saying anything bad about it. Right, the- right, right, right. I mean, just that some people don't like being reminded of uh, what life was like before integration, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, he's what, 74, 75, something like that? He's 74 in June. Right, yeah. so he's a 74 year old guy recounting. You know his memory, so yeah. he's not. He has no malicious intent. There's no bigotry no. behind it. Just the, the, those statements, but that's. Well, you know. I'm not gonna sit here and say my dad <laughs> isn't a bigot. <laughs> but those statements were pure fact. Yeah. You know. But the um, problem is he talks louder than he thinks. You know? <laughs> but so then the movie starts, and I'm thinking, all right, he's he he'll shut up now. But he he kept talking a little bit, you know. I'm like, come on, man. I was like, like, they're showing, you know, since it's taking place in the 50s, he's like marveling at the cars. He's like, oh, Studebaker. (laughs) He's given running commentary. I was like, all right, all right. And then at one point he turns to me and he, well, before the movie even begins, he's like, you know, they got lots of guys from Jersey, you know, like lots of singers and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Not thinking anything of what that comment meant. Right. You know, but then the movie's gone, and at one point he turns to me, he's like, he's like, this is like probably 10 minutes in the movie, he's like, Clint Eastwood isn't in this movie? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'm like, no, he just directed it. And then, um, so it's gone on. And there was, based on the conversation he had about his idea of gays in the Navy when he was in there, there's a scene in the movie where Bob Gaudio, who was one of the members, did you see the musical at all? No, No. The way it is, is each member of the Four Seasons narrates a part of the movie. You know? Okay. Like, it, it's broken up into four quarters, you know? Got it. And so uh, Bob Gaudio is talking about when they first met this uh, producer who is, like, flaming gay, you know? He's like, and he turns to the camera, he's like, I was so taken by surprise by this guy, I didn't think anything of it. Remember, back at this time, we just thought that uh, Liberace was just very theatrical or something <laughs> like that. I was thinking, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's totally confirming the way my old man thought. Right, right. You know? But um, so they get to a part in the movie, and Frankie Valli, you know, his real name is Frankie Castelluccio. Right. And it's a scene where he's telling the woman who he ends up marrying that he's taking the stage name Valley, you know? And my dad goes, oh, Valley. You know, like as if it was a eureka moment. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I just thought maybe, he thought, oh, okay, that's a cool origin story or whatever. He gets to the end of the movie. And he turns to me. And he's like, I did not know this movie was about Frankie Valley." <laughs> I had no movie. I was like, you had no idea <laughs> in the fourth season. He's like, yeah, I just thought it was about all the different singers and people that were from Jersey. I'm like, no way. I'm like, you can't tell me you didn't know that this movie was about Frankie Valley. Oh my god. god. I told my mom, she's like, is he insane? She's like, you read the whole thing in Parade with Frankie Valley and the cast of Jersey Boys. Uh, There's no memory of that? That was like two weeks earlier. <laughs> the only thing I was thinking, it was probably a better movie for him. You know, because it was all like new. Like, that was a eureka moment when it was Frankie Valley. You know, right, 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 right. Frankie Valley. Yeah. Uh, he only broke out in singing a couple of times during the movie. <laughs> he did love the fact that Christopher Walken played the mobster in it. Okay. Christopher Walken is the mobster in one of my dad's probably favorite scenes in all of. Oh, Senate. I gotta say it's true romance. Yes. Yes. That cracks up at that scene when they, when Dennis Hopper's saying all that stuff about. Wait, is uh, your dad Sicilian? Yes. Yeah. But it. Right, so, right, right. So it's just supposed to be like a humiliating thing towards Sicilians. My dad just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Right, right. You know, that whole scene there. You know, he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, if I would have known better, he's telling me this the other day. He's like, if I would have known all that, I would have marked myself off as black on... Because <laughs> 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 he thinks it would have got him stuff. You know? Oh, that's great. I was like, you say that now, but the one guy you shit in 1960. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, it might have got you thrown out of every place you'd go in 1960, you know? <laughs> uh, too funny, man. Too funny. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'll, I still don't think it's getting that far, but, you know, he's got his. 
Like I said, he's bigoted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, we leave, and I'm like, well, I, I got to take him around uptown. It's like 2 o'clock, or 20 after 2 or something. We tried to go by the po' boy shop, which is like the last original thing down there, but they were closed because it was 4th of July. Tried to go to this other restaurant, but they were closed because it was 4th of July. I was like, all right. I, I was like driving. I'm like, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. Uh, you know, because places are closed, 4th of July. I wanted, so I drove past this one place, and then there's this bar that's been there for like 100-something years. Apparently, it's a bar my dad never hung out at because it was in the... It wasn't in his part of town, you know? Right. It was 10 to 15 blocks past his part of town. So we go to that bar. And it was very weird because my dad's not a drinker. So it's very weird to sit there and have a beer with him. But uh, he, And another thing is I'm not able to sit there and just... I wasn't going to be pounding beers because he would have noticed that and been like, don't drive me. You know? <laughs> that you guys would have been stuck. Yeah, I tried to nurse it for like 15 minutes. He's taking forever because he's just talking, yapping on and on and on and on about everything. And all these guys he knew in the 50s. And the one guy he knew that went to Jesuit. And how uh, the guy that was the president of Jesuit, that's our high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy didn't like him because of one thing, which I've heard a million times. <laughs> you know, see, my dad went to a rival high school. You know, he grew up in uh, a different part of town. You know, where you know, back in the day people went by where their neighbor was. Hoods or right, one only one guy from his neighborhood, one or two guys ended up going to Jesuit, which was weird. And he and he told this guy, Father Thompson, God rest his soul, he's been dead for years. He told Father Thompson, when my brother's older brother's gone there at something, he told Father Thompson, You know, I used to not like Jesuit, and apparently, Father Thompson always held that over his head. <laughs> yeah. And he and my dad, I've heard it, he's like, Dad, I tell you, I was like, Yes, all the time. Sometimes <laughs> he's like, like one day he was talking about something. I was like, "Oh, Errol Linden." He's like, "How'd you hear of him?" I'm like, "From you. You always tell that damn story." <laughs> you know, like he, I don't know. He's insane. But eventually, I was like, "Finish up your beer." Um, <laughs> and and then I looked up, and this place, that dog was open. They serve sausages and stuff. And the original one was opened up on this other street in uptown New Orleans about four or five years ago. And apparently my old man saw something about it and he, in the news or something, he was marveled at, like, how the hell can a place selling sausages be so successful? You know? Like, right. he doesn't understand it. Right. So I was like, screw it, this place is open, let's go to that dog. So we went there and the whole time he's like, he's like, man, he's like, I can't believe this, a hot dog place. You know, he's like, this is ridiculous. 50 years ago, if you would have told somebody this would be the successful thing. I was like, all right, because he kept going on. I was like, Dad, 50 years ago, if you would have told somebody that you could have a device in your pocket where you can have all the world's information at the at, at a fingertips notice, people would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> like, you can't gauge what people would have thought 50 years ago of what's going on now. And it, it kept on. I was like, things change. I was like, yes, and if fifty, and if a guy from fifty years before you were living on Magazine Street in the fifties came and saw what was going on, he might have been like, man, fifty years ago. I was like, times change, get over it. People want hot dogs. <laughs> God bless America. 
Yeah, <laughs> but we had to go hit like, uh, you know, it was like the memory lane tour. We drove around, drove past the house that his grandmother and his uncles used to live in. Uh, drove past like his aunt's house. Then we drove past the bar. This bar called Grits that he used to love to hang out at back in the day, and he claims that he worked there, although that's <laughs> dubious. His claim to fame is that he razzooed the pot there one night. Uh, wait, wait, I don't even... I don't, what's razzooing the pot, apparently, uh, when people are playing a poker game, you know, and you got the pot in the middle. Yeah. Razzooing the pot is when you say, fuck it, and you grab the pot, and you run out of there. <laughs> and his claim to fame is that his... I don't know. I I always take his stories with a grain of salt. You know, maybe he was with the guy that razzooed the pot, but I really have a hard time believing my dad was the one that did that. <laughs> you know, he he's got Napoleonic complex. You know, so he likes to think. Uh, you know, he 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 has a uh, delusion of grandeur. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so then we had to drive back behind where the house that he wouldn't move into was and. You know, I mean, it was fine. It was, and and then my mom called me up at one point. She thought I'd already brought him home. You know, it's like five o'clock. She's like, she's like, where are you right now? I was like driving down Memory Lane. She's like, where? <laughs> Memory Lane. She's like, Magazine Street. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I'll give him this much credit. I was like, I was like, at least I can die with that, uh, without that on my conscience now. Because my mom kept saying, you got to bring him down there one day. You got to bring him down there one day. And, you know, he's 74, you know, like, he he was, he was, my dad's kind of a sour fellow, but he was genuinely happy Friday. So. (laughs) Good job, Lamp. Good job. Um, and uh, I was like, whatever. The thing was, I brought him back to the house here and the whole day he was talking and everything was fine. But then he come here, and him and my brother are sitting inside, and the news came on. They had something on there that pissed him off that him and my brother got an argument with about. And I said I was going to bring him home at 6 o'clock anyway. This was during maybe the national news, which comes on at 5.30 here, that they might start arguing. And um, I was like, all right, we got to get going. I told my mom and my brother were in the kitchen. I was like, all right, I got to get Dad out of here before the 6 o'clock news begins. <laughs> Before there's a controversial story that'll piss him off, you know? And the news is always leading off with stories that will piss him off. You know, like, right. uh, like I think the hot story that would let off that day was how they had caught this scumbag kid that shot people down in the down on Bourbon Street a couple of weeks ago. They caught him on July 4th. I was like, we gotta get out of here before that's the top story, and he's sitting here watching it. You know? So... <laughs> So I got him out of there, brought him back to Mississippi, and uh, you know I I did my job, <laughs> and that was how I spent my Fourth of July. Oh, well, I can't beat that, man! I can't beat that. He doesn't even recognize Fourth of July because I'm thinking <laughs> I wore a shirt with a red, white, blue color scheme. He wore khaki pants and a dark green shirt. I don't think, <laughs> I don't even think it dawned on him that it was the Fourth of July. <laughs> uh, good stuff, man. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah, well, up here it rained, so there you go. Uh, oh, yeah, they had the friggin' hurricane batter in the East Coast this week, huh? Yeah. That kind of yeah. fucked everything up, huh? So, uh, the 
uh, sun didn't come out till Saturday, so a little bit of a um, little bit of yard work and maybe a little beach, and then yeah. um, barbecue Saturday night. Sunday was just kind of laying low, hit yeah. a, hit a little beach. That was about it. I, uh, I you got to see the banner plane. I did get to see the banner. Oh shit! Um, all right, I'm gonna have to put that up and and we'll cover yeah. that on a post coital because we're 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 running pretty good here. But um, I was sitting on the beach on Sunday, right? That's when I. Yeah, I think that's where I got it from you. Now, originally, I thought that banner planes were a New Jersey phenomenon, but recently I saw like a Yahoo story of these two kids um, who were paragliding. Or oh, parasailing really? story. Um, where'd I see it? Yeah, how'd you how'd you get access to that story? Uh, Yahoo. Sure, I didn't text that to you this morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I questioned whether it was a banner plane, whether the banner was advertising <clears throat> Notre Dame. Right, right. So this is the exact uh, right. This is the exact quote uh, from the text I got from you today. It says, "I wonder if the banner was advertising Syracuse versus Notre Dame." And the headline is, "Banner plane collides with parasail carrying two young boys." I watched the whole th- news story. I read the article, and I, ha- honest to goodness, if you, had- I got you just acting like you came across this. <laughs> If you would have bet me a hundred dollars that you sent that to me, I would have said, "You're on, friend. You're on." But I thought that those banner planes were um, <laughs> were germane to New Jersey because oh, really? they fly, you know, up and down the coast. And, yeah. and when you're sitting on the beach, you watch these little prop engine planes, you know, single yeah. passenger carry this huge banner and they I always marvel at them because I never know how they stay upright like you know what what's the physics behind it how why doesn't it like tail off to the side like I always watch them and I'm confounded by banner physics (laughs) (laughs) and sure enough I'm sitting there um you know just kind of looking out on the horizon and then across comes this plane pulling a banner that says Notre Dame versus Syracuse, September 27th, MetLife Stadium. And um, I thought for sure, I thought for sure that Daryl Gross was flying the plane himself. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. You see a lot of those down here during festival time, like a Jazz Fest or you're at a Jazz Fest. It's a different banner plane every hour. Because I guess they must do, you know, they fly, they go down, they put on a new banner, and then they fly around that banner for like an hour. Okay. You know, always with crap like, oh, come the strongest hang, tropical aisle, the hand grenade, strongest drink in town, all that type of shit, you know? Yeah, for the most. Tries to get you to bars and stuff and other things, not just bars. I know there's other various things. Well, besides Syracuse football, um, mostly it's bars down here, happy hours. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's what, like, Dun Jazz Fest to try and get you to come down all these French Quarter bars, yeah. So that um, that was the excitement of my Fourth of July weekend. So it was not as quite not was uh, wasn't as quite as uh, as exciting as yours, but um, at or least I was able to get my some. Dad, who got to see a movie where he didn't even know what the hell it was about, but he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a win-win-win. 
Yes. And I say go see Jersey Boys, man. All right, two thumbs up. Yeah, two enthusiastic thumbs up. Especially if you like Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons music. And who doesn't? Yeah, really. Yeah. You know, and I, I was listening to that stuff, and now it's, I'm still singing it every day because it gets you in the, you know, it gets in your head. And all their songs are type of things that you sing that get caught in your head, you know? You know, like, Sherry. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that is when I was at that wedding a few weeks ago, the next day I woke up and I didn't know if this was part of my drunken dream or something that actually happened, but I believe it is something that actually happened that night. We were like in a cab or something, and I was singing in a falsetto, and somebody told me I did it pretty well. <laughs> the next day I'm like, I don't know if that was a dream or reality, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was real. <laughs> uh, uh, well you have anything else no that's it man that's it i cannot top that i'll yeah. tell you i was um a little insight into my uh into my current psyche uh, i was driving from my sister-in-law's birthday was today so my parents took uh, her and and um my brother and and her and their kids out to dinner and I tagged along. Wife? No, Jeremy's wife. Jeremy's wife. Oh yeah, the forgotten the the was it the Zeppo marks? <laughs> yes, the Zeppo marks of the Santa's brothers. <laughs> um uh we went out to sushi, which um Josh's uh, family doesn't really, they're not big sushi eaters, so we just kind of, I tagged, essentially my mom was going to take out. Interesting, considering Josh is so into the Asian martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really what it was, was my mom and dad were going to take out Jeremy and his wife for her birthday, and I happened to just uh, commandeer the conversation, uh, <laughs> and I, I jumped in the car and essentially went for free sushi, so... yeah. Um, we were, um, I was driving on the way home and I was like, uh, oh, all right, I'm getting a little tired. Ah, oh, it's a little hot out today. I don't know where this episode probably won't go. I'm not in that good of a mood. This episode probably won't get up for a couple of days. It'll probably be, you know, I can't expect us to have a really good episode. This isn't, you know, this definitely, definitely isn't as good as last week. But um, but I'm psyched, man. I'm this is good good good, yeah, good chat man. tonight, man. Good chat. I'm gonna get this up right away. You know I'm what? psyched. When all that stuff went down with my dad, I was sitting on that. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna make good radio. Pod. Uh, well, then on that note, man. With apologies to Girk's brother. We'll see you next week. Night, Fredo.